Good morning. Today's scripture reading comes from Luke 24, verses 1 through 7. On the first day of the week, very early in the morning, the women took the spices they had prepared and went to the tomb. They found the stone rolled away from the tomb. But when they entered, they did not find the body of the Lord Jesus. While they were wondering about this, suddenly two men in clothes that gleamed like lightning stood beside them. In their fright, the women bowed down their faces to the ground, but the men said to them, Why do you look for the living among the dead? He is not here. He has risen. Remember how he told you while he was still with you in Galilee, The Son of Man must be delivered over to the hands of the sinners, be crucified, and on the third day be raised again. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Thank you, Kevin. Won't you pray with me for a moment, please? Lord God, it is so good to talk about things that matter with people who care. And we're gathered together this morning on Easter because Easter matters and we care. And we long to be Easter people and live our lives in the victory that Christ has made possible. And so we open our hearts and our minds to your word today that it might go forth with the power of the Holy Spirit and speak to our lives and our hearts in a way that allows us to go out and live as your people. Make it so this day, we pray in Jesus' holy name and all God's people said, amen. Well, I'm a big fan of questions. I like questions. I think Questions are a gift. Questions allow us to ponder great possibilities, to learn from past mistakes, to sort through complex issues. You know, almost all of the great discoveries of life came about by people asking good questions. The right question asked at the right way at the right time can open up all kinds of doors of possibility. Back in the mid-1950s, uh, a guy named... Uh, George de Mestral was working as an engineer in Switzerland, and he was on a hunting trip on a Saturday. And when he came back from that hunting trip Saturday night, he noticed that his hunting dog was covered in these little little seeds. They were called burdock burrs. Here we call them hitchhikers, but they're these little little seedlings all over the dog's fur. And, and George noticed they were on his clothing as well, and he began trying to cleaned them off himself and off his dog, and it took quite a bit of effort. And he wondered, man, what, what is it about these seeds that makes them so clingy to everything? With that question, he decided to take a couple of those seeds to work on Monday, and he looked at them under a microscope, and he discovered those little burdock burrs had hundreds of tiny little hooks on them. And that helped explain how they were so easily attached to fibrous materials like clothing and hair and fur, and why they were so hard to get off. So George asked a second question. Is there something I can learn from this little seed? Is there there's something that might be useful about this seed? And he got together with a couple of friends and they began working on a product based on the model of this little burdock burr with its hundred little hooks. And thus came the invention we know today as Velcro, right? One of the most amazing inventions of modern life. Because a a man took an ordinary seed and asked a couple of questions. Now, in a spiritual sense, I think it's important for us to ask spiritual questions, big questions. 
Life's most important questions are spiritual questions. Is there a God? And if there is, can we know Him personally? Does He care about us individually? What happens when we die? What's the purpose of this life? Why is there suffering and tragedy? Big, important questions that the church needs to help people try to answer in their lives. I've talked to some of you who have uh, grown up in churches where questions were not encouraged. They were actually discouraged. You really weren't allowed to ask questions in church because when you did, it was interpreted as a lack of faith or a rebellious attitude or you were some kind of troublemaker. Unfortunately, there are some people who grew up in church traditions where they were told, just believe what we tell you and don't ask questions. Can I tell you, that's not this church. Here at Ebenezer Church, we encourage questions. We want you to ask important questions because that's how we learn and grow and discover. We follow a Savior who said, if you seek, you will find. And asking questions is one of those important ways we seek. And that's what God uses to help us find. And so this morning as we gather on Easter Sunday to celebrate Easter, I think it would be important and helpful to ask some questions. I have three questions of Easter I want us to consider today. Three very important questions about Easter, and here they are. What, so what, and now what? What, so what, and now what? And we're going to spend the rest of our time together answering those three questions So let's dive in. The what of Easter. The what question. What is Easter? And that's an important question. This is the question that tries to get at the facts of the Easter story. And we shouldn't rush through this and assume everybody knows what Easter is really all about. Living in our modern day and age, a lot of people don't know all the details of Easter or aren't sure about the story. I I get a kick out of the story of the, the Sunday school teacher teaching her kindergarten class, and she asked them the question, does anybody know what Easter is about? The little boy raised his hand. He said, I think I do. And she said, well, tell me. And he said, Easter, isn't that when you dress up in costumes and you go door to door asking for candy? The teacher said, no, 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 no. That's Halloween. Does anybody know what Easter is about? Another little boy raised his hand. He said, I, I think I know. She said, what is it? Isn't Easter when Santa Claus comes and brings you lots of presents? She said, no, 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 that, that, that's Christmas. And the teacher's getting a little discouraged at this point. And then a, a little girl raises her hand and says, I think I know. The teacher says, tell me. She says, well, it's about Jesus. The teacher smiles. Yes, what about Jesus? Well, he was crucified. Yes. And he, he died and they, they put him in a tomb. And the teacher's getting excited. Yes. And he said, they rolled a stone in front of the tomb. Yes, that's right. And then the little girl said on the, on the third day, the stone was rolled away and he came out of the tomb and the teacher says, yes. And then the little girl says, and Jesus saw his shadow and went back in for six more weeks of winter. <laughs> Almost got the story right, right? What is the big deal about Easter? What, what is the story? Well, The Scripture gives us the answer. The the Gospels tell the stories a little differently in each Gospel, emphasizing different different components of the story and different facts around the story. We heard from Luke today, Luke's Gospel. But we know Jesus died on a cross for the sins of the world. And uh, He was taken down from the cross, His body dead, wrapped in cloth and placed in a tomb. 
And then a huge stone was rolled over the entrance to the tomb. And two Roman centurion guards placed at the entrance of the tomb. The disciples of Jesus at this point are hiding in grief and fear. Grief that the one they had thought was going to be their savior had been executed like a common criminal. And now afraid that they'd be next. And then on Sunday morning, a group of women who had followed Jesus made their way to the tomb, carrying with them spices, spices that were used in ancient times to uh, anoint the, the dead body before decomposition. Please understand, these ladies were going to the tomb with spices to anoint a dead body. They expected to find a dead body in the tomb. And when they got there, the stone had been rolled away, the body was gone, and two angels appeared to them and said, Why are you looking for the living among the dead? Jesus has risen just as He said He would. And as the the women go to tell the disciples, according to Matthew's Gospel, Jesus appears to them. And then Jesus tells them, Tell the disciples you have seen Me and tell them to go to Galilee. I will meet them there. And guess what? He met them in Galilee. In fact, over the next 40 days, Jesus made a number of appearances to the disciples and to others, and more than 500 people at one time saw the resurrected Jesus. And these disciples who were cowering in fear became bold and courageous and proclaimed the good news that Jesus had risen from the dead, that the Savior had completed His mission, and that He was worthy to be followed and worshipped. And the church was born as people began gathering together to celebrate this good news and and ask the question, how do we live in light of what has happened? And that's the story. And it's a powerful story. And and what I, I want us to remember about that story, friends, is that it really happened. See, it really happened. We are celebrating an event today. The resurrection of Jesus is an event that occurred in history. Christianity is primarily founded on a historical event, the resurrection of Jesus. It's, Christianity is not basically a religion founded on the teachings of a great man or the philosophy of life given to us by a charismatic personality or by the rules and regulations developed by a lawgiver. No, there's some of that in Christianity, but fundamentally Christianity is about something that happened. It's a response to an empty tomb and a risen Savior. Jesus did not faint on the cross and was still alive when they put Him in the tomb and then in the cold, damp tomb He came to. He regained consciousness. That didn't happen. They didn't steal His body and claim He rose from the dead. Ten of the eleven remaining disciples were willing to be executed for their claim that Jesus had raised from the dead. If they had stolen the body, they wouldn't have allowed themselves to be executed. No, no. Every every modern day explanation of the resurrection fails the test of logic and historical analysis. It really happened. Friends, we're not here today to celebrate a fable or a legend or a metaphor or a religious hoax. The truth is, if Jesus hadn't risen from the dead, Christianity would have never made it out of the first century. Shoot, Christianity would have never made it out of the first week. What gave birth to Christianity was not a wise Jewish rabbi admired by a bunch of fishermen because he told clever stories and did a few miracles. What gave birth to Christianity was an empty tomb and a resurrected Savior who appeared to hundreds of people and the church has persisted down through the 
centuries, and the gates of hell have not prevailed against her and never will. This makes Christianity most unique among all the other religions of the world. Only Christianity has Easter. That's the what. Now let's ask the second question. So what? Okay, Jesus rose from the tomb, appeared to hundreds. The church exists. Okay, so what? What does it all mean? Well, first of all, the resurrection of Jesus validates his claims of who he was and it authenticates his teachings. I mean, if you're going to come into the world and say, hey, I'm the son of God, I'm here to die for the sins of the world, and on the third day I'm going to rise from the dead, and then you actually do it, we probably ought to believe you, don't you think? See, the resurrection of Jesus proved who he was and that he came to do what he said he was going to do. And it authenticated all that he had to say to us about who God is and what God desires for us and from us. When Jesus asked his disciples the question, who do you say I am? That's the most important question you and I will ever answer. Who do you say he is? Everything matters on that. Because if he is who he says he is, if he did what he said he would do, that changes everything for you and me. That's the so what of Easter. Beyond, beyond the fact that it validates Jesus' identity, Easter also provides you and me with the opportunity to totally transform our identity. Because when we put our faith and trust in Jesus, the Bible says our identity is changed forever. C.S. Lewis put it this way. He said, Jesus didn't come to the world to make us nice people. He came to make us new people. Right? A new identity. Now as followers of a Savior. Now as children of God. You've heard that expression, children of God. I hear people say sometimes, well, we're all children of God. Not according to the Bible. Now, we're all created by God. We're all loved by God. And God wants us all to become His children. But according to Scripture, to become a child of God, you've got to make that choice. You've got to make that choice. When you put your faith and trust in Jesus, you become a child of God. As John puts it, he says, we are no longer children of darkness. Now we are children of the light. We are adopted as the children of God. In John's Gospel, it says this, to as many as receive Him, Jesus, as many as believe upon Him, to them He gives the power to become the children of God. Galatians 3.26 puts it this way, you are all children of God, through your faith in Christ Jesus. The only people who ever claimed to be children of God were the Christians. Because of their faith in Christ Jesus, they were now adopted into God's family. It was a total change of status. It was a change of who they were. Other religions didn't call God Father. Only the Christians. Because they understood what Jesus had come to do for them. About three months ago, a guy named Simon Smith legally changed his name to Bacon Double Cheeseburger. No, I'm not making that up. Have you, did you read about this? The 33-year-old British man had his name legally changed from Simon Smith to Bacon Double Cheeseburger. He did it for two reasons. One reason is he really likes Bacon Double Cheeseburgers. And the other reason is his friends really encouraged him to do that. With friends like that, who needs enemies, I guess, right? But here's the deal. Mr. Bacon Double Cheeseburger changed his name legally without ever consulting his fiancée, Isabella. 
Now, according to the article uh, I read, Isabella is having second thoughts about getting married. You think? She's got two issues. One is she's not sure she wants to spend the rest of her life known as Mrs. Bacon Double Cheeseburger. And the other is she questions the maturity and the wisdom of a guy who's going to change his name to Bacon Double Cheeseburger. And really, who can blame her? Because a name is more than just a name. A name is a source of identity. A name says something about us. What the Bible tells us is that Jesus came to change our identity. You and I have a new name. The name Christian. Christian. It means one who follows Christ. The name Christian means something. It means something more than just, I believe in God. It means something more than just, I was baptized in a church when I was a kid. It means something more than just, I try to be a nice person and live by the golden rule. It means something more than just this vague, I'm a spiritual person, but I'm not very religious. No, no. Christian means much more than any of that. Christian is a fundamental identity. It says, I put my faith and trust in Jesus Christ as my Savior and my Lord. I believe He did what He said He'd do. And he is who he says he is because he rose from the dead to authenticate who he was and he changed my identity. I am now a follower of his, a student of his. My sins are forgiven. My life is in a new direction and a new trajectory. As Paul says in 2 Corinthians 5.17, if anyone is in Christ, they are now a new creation. The old is gone. The new has come. That's the so what of Easter. He gave his life for us. We give our lives to follow Him. Amen? Now the now what? The now what question. This is the question of response. How do I respond? How do I respond to what Jesus has done? Well, of course, we, we, we put our faith and trust in Jesus, believing He is who He says He is, that He did what He said He'd do, and we commit to live a new kind of life in response to what He's done. We learn all we can learn about Him. We try to live life according to the values and virtues He teaches We embrace our new identity with confidence. See, the best way to respond to Easter is to live with confidence that you are now a new person through Jesus Christ. And I think this is where the church can really help us because the whole purpose of church is to help people embrace and affirm and live out their identity as followers of Jesus. See, we all have that individual identity. I am a Christian. But Jesus died and rose for more than just our individual identity. He died and rose so we could have a corporate identity together as the people of God. And the church exists to help people understand, what does it mean to follow Jesus? What does it mean for me to live my life with other brothers and sisters in Christ to make a positive impact in my family, in my community, in my world? See, we can do so much together that we can't do individually. On my own, I can't build a hospital and an orphanage in Sierra Leone, Africa. But together as God's children, we can. And we did. On my own, I can't package 70,000 meals on a Saturday morning. But as a church family, as the children of God united together, we can and we will. Brothers and sisters, listen, part of our response to the resurrection is to be part of God's family together and the church is here to help us learn how to worship and grow and serve and become more like Jesus together, that corporate connection. It's not just about going to heaven when you die, right? It's about learning to live a certain kind of life here and now and that's where the church can help us.
And I, and I know, you know, in a group this size, there, there may be some here who have perhaps embraced their individual identity. I am a Christian, but have never embraced their corporate identity. I am part of the church, the people of God. And they've not connected to a church. If that describes you today, let me ask you to please pray about that. Because God wants you connected in a family where you're worshiping and growing and serving with other brothers and sisters. Here at Ebenezer, we'd love to have you be a part of our church family. But if you don't feel like this is the place God wants you to be, let God show you where He wants you to be. Because He wants you somewhere connected and involved. It's a vital part of living out our identity. But it's not just about having confidence in this life. It's also about having confidence in the life yet to come. Because there is a life beyond this one. That's an important truth to remember. And it's a, that's a big reason why we celebrate on Easter. Because when this life ends, a new and better life begins. Let me just remind everybody of this stark truth. We're all going to die. All of us. And I don't say that to manipulate anybody with fear. I don't say that to bring anybody into depression. I say that because it's true. The statistics on death are quite amazing. One out of every one. Right? The Apostle Paul said, if our hope is only in this life, we're of all people to be most pitied. This life isn't all there is. This life isn't even the best of all there is. Jesus conquered the grave when He rose from the dead. And now we conquer the grave by our faith and trust in Him. Through Him. Jesus said, I am the resurrection and I am life. Those who believe in Me, even though they die, yet shall they live again. And whoever lives and believes in Me will never really die. Easter allows you and me to live this life with confidence as we are equally confident of our eternal destiny and the life yet to come. We're second line people. That's who we are. We're second line. You know that phrase, you ever heard of it, second line? It actually comes from funeral parades. Down in, down in New Orleans, they do funeral parades. It, it originated in the African-American Creole community. They don't do it as much now, but they used to do it a lot. Uh, in those communities, when, when somebody would die, the, they would gather at the church for the funeral. But after the funeral, instead of going right to the cemetery for the burial, they actually did a parade. They hoisted up the casket and they paraded through the streets. And there were two lines to the parade. There was the first line, which consisted of the pallbearers carrying the casket with the deceased inside, and family members and close friends. And in the first line, there was a band playing. And the band played very somber music, funeral dirges. People walked very slowly. Some were crying. And as they walked through the streets, neighbors would hear that funeral dirge music and they would come out onto their porches. Some of them would would go down to the side of the street and they would stand, some of them with their hand over their heart as a sign of respect. That was the first line. But then a little ways behind the first line was the second line. There was a band for this line as well. But this band wasn't playing dirges. This band was playing upbeat, peppy jazz music. You ever heard that song, When the Saints Go Marching In? Originated in the second line. That's where it came from. And people would, in the second line, would be singing and clapping and dancing and twirling parasols and shouting hallelujah. And the people who had come out to watch the first line go by, when the second line went by, they would wave and shout hallelujah. Some would even jump into the line and and join in the dancing. The point of the funeral parade was to 
remind people that while there is a certain sadness and loss that comes with death, if you really understand what happened on Easter, you'll rejoice. You'll have every reason to say hallelujah. Friends, when you and I die, the people who are left behind and come to our funerals, they'll be sad. It's hard to say goodbye to somebody you love. But we'll be rejoicing like never before in a place far more beautiful, far more amazing, far more glorious than we could ever imagine in this life. That is the promise of the empty tomb. That is the promise of Easter. We're second-line people. We're not here to remember a myth. We're not here to recall a legend. We're not here to perpetuate a religious hoax. We're here to embrace an event that really happened. We're here to claim our new identity as children of God. And we're here to celebrate our eternal destiny when this life ends and new and better life begins. Because we are not in the land of the living moving towards death. We're in the land of the dying moving towards life, eternal and abundant and full. Let's go out and show this world. That Easter makes all the difference in the world and in the world yet to come.